from you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why she wouldn't even harm a fly. Well, it's that time of year. The Oscar nominations are out. And as always, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has made some questionable choices. Choices, but questionable ones. I really don't know how to feel about it. I'm sitting in this weird place of I'm happy about a lot of the things, not so happy about other things. And there's plenty of surprises and snubs this year that have the whole film world talking. And luckily, here to help us make sense of it all is Joseph Flynn. He's the Associate Director of the Center for Black Studies and Associate Professor of Curriculum and Instruction at Northern Illinois University. You remember him. He's been on before. Joseph, welcome back. What's up, man? Dude, Thanks so for good. having me. Yeah, this time you're not on the phone. No, I'm this really time I'm not. It made it into the city. It's, it's a wonderful studio. Yeah, as uh, many people, when you're listening to this, you may be uh, hiding inside from the horrible, bitter cold that's coming in. So I think um, this this conversation will hopefully keep you warm. You know, heat up, get your blood going, and uh, you know, think get you thinking while you're hiding away from the elements. Uh, so I guess let's just jump right into it. Um, just generally speaking, how do you feel about this round of nom- this year's nominees for the Oscars? I did uh, an interview um, sometime last year after Black Panther came out, and I I made the bold declaration that it was going to be one of the most important films of this decade. And thank God. <laughs> It got nominated for Best Picture of <laughs> really, the Year. You really uh, doubled down. You're like, <laughs> this is going to be it. Ever you were hoping. You're like, okay, maybe this will, maybe this won't. But you were proven right. Uh, yeah, so I'm lucky with that. Um, but I think even alongside that, Black Panther being nominated, uh, Black Klansman rather, being nominated as well, um, Green Book being nominated, for me and the things that I think a lot about, it's a, it's a nice step forward. Uh, in Hollywood mm-hmm. to recognize more than one minority cast film yeah. a year. So this is a pretty interesting, interesting development. We're getting past that quota idea. It was like, okay, we have to have one quote unquote race movie and then we can just, we'll give it to someone else. It right. always seemed like that. There would be like, yeah, we'll throw in uh driving Miss Daisy. That, <laughs> that counts. That, that, we've met our quota. We can feel good. We can all pat ourselves on the back and have dinner and drinks and, get our little golden statuette so it is i i agree i think it's uh a pretty diverse list at least for the best picture for sure um just for those if you haven't seen the list we've got black panther uh black klansman bohemian rhapsody the favorite green book roma a star is born and vice now i think there's at least a couple of those that we probably could have stricken from the record um namely among among them is bohemian rhapsody um yeah. even when that got nominated for a golden globe i was like i'm not really sure why we're doing this i feel like we're celebrating mediocrity uh yeah you know in full in full disclosure i grew up a massive queen fan really so yeah oh. i love queen Very so cool. when i found out about the film i was like oh my gosh they're gonna... and rami as freddie mercury he is, is just, he is great he is a, he's amazing he's com- he completely took me into the film 
and I, I bought hook, line, and sinker that that was Freddie Mercury. But apart from that, it's not – it's just a run-by-the-numbers uh, run biopic. Yeah, very vanilla. Just, yeah, and, and the story just so sanitized Freddie Mercury's life, you know, and they really pulled their punches on um, – exploring a sexuality and LGBT issues that the band faced. They pull, really pulled the punches on exploring what it was life was like once he found out that he was HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the banter with the band was fine, you know, and, and the things that you learn about the band and how brilliant they actually are in real life, astrophysicists and whatnot. Yeah. You know, that's all cool. But again, it's just, it was like, I could have watched this on Lifetime. That's a good way to put it. That does come off as something almost made for TV. If it weren't, I would say, if it weren't for the production value and also, of course, Rami Malik's performance, it could have been relegated to just kind of made for TNT. Yeah. Like you catch that on a you know Saturday afternoon, you're like, yeah, I could watch this. This is good enough. Um, and I think one of those fears is it was weird to have everyone's fears confirmed about uh, more or less erasing. Freddie Mercury's sexuality or, you know, really downplaying it, pulling the punch, as you said, it was talked about. I kept a little bit of faith um, that maybe it was just like, okay, you know, we haven't seen the whole thing yet. We don't know where it's going. We don't actually know what the, what the situation is. And then of course, when we sat down to watch it, it was just like, oh no, they definitely, they definitely erased it. Uh, And plus, you know, notwithstanding the controversy surrounding Brian Singer, you know, yeah. not only getting kicked off the film for apparently being, uh, you know, a bad director in terms of showing up late and having fights with Rami and all this kind of stuff, but also uh, as recent articles have uh, brought back up, the situation of uh, sexual assault, sexual abuse of young boys uh, surrounding him. And as far as I know, he's kind of pulling a Roman Polanski right now. He's just kind of like away. He's hiding in Europe or something. I don't know where he is. He's probably at Roman Clancy's yeah, house. <laughs> hanging out. Oh, geez. So is, I mean, could uh, could the Academy ever really pull their nomination? Once the nomination gets out, could they ever turn it around and be like, actually, in light of recent uh, developments, we are no longer nominating Bohemian Rhapsody for Best Picture? Or is that seen as kind of punishing everybody for the actions of one director? I would say the latter. Um, I've never heard of them ever doing it. I've never even heard of them ever talking about pulling a nomination. Because mm-hmm. I think that the organization, um, the Academy, is pretty meticulous in their process. And so there's conversation about who should be on the slate and who shouldn't be on the slate mm-hmm. throughout the entire process. And, and you know, they're all Hollywood insiders. So sure. it's not like they probably don't know yeah, a lot of, you know what we hear you know over on the no coast yeah exactly <laughs> don't have access to mm-hmm. so um and for as much power as the academy has in entertainment and you know culture and whatnot i don't think they really like controversy a lot no they hate it to pull a film from nomination that's a lot of controversy coming from all sides so i could see why they I could see why they wouldn't. You know, yeah. And we, can, we want to call that cowardly or not. Sure. Yeah, and we even saw yeah. that with uh, the whole situation surrounding Kevin Hart and, yeah. you know, being, being the host, not being the host. Um, yeah. They really just want to stay 
relatively sanitized. Even they want to err on the side of, I guess, liberalism if we had to put a name on it. Um, they're going to let speeches go on that might be, you know, championing, championing uh, what are traditionally dem- Democrat or liberal causes. But they always draw the line somewhere. Uh, even in the past, things like Marlon Brando not accepting his Oscar yeah. and having uh, a Native American come up and give a speech. Uh, something as recent as Michael Moore when he won for Bowling for Columbine, you know, basically calling Bush not the president and saying that he cheated and all this kind of stuff. He was booed. Yeah. Wh- which today, if you someone made that speech, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, no, yeah, Bush years were terrible." <laughs> it just seems. It just seems kind of. Uh, I'm always wary of the Academy and I'm there's so many great artists represented by them. And I'm, I don't mean to paint with a broad brush, but it is a very self congratulatory time is a very self congratulatory thing. Um, and I, I just kind of wish that they would take a harder stand and kind of be a, a greater force for change in the entertainment industry. All right. So speaking of Bush years, uh, another best picture nominee vice, uh, an incredibly, average movie from adam mckay a director that i generally really enjoy i liked when he jumped into the big short yeah it was nice to see him do uh something a little bit more vital something a little bit more inflammatory uh i always i always figured his movies were kind of critiques in themselves of the bush era and bush era culture the a lot of the comedy derives itself from you know that mid-2000s mentality uh and this one i was ex- I, I would say i was excited for um another christian bale transformation naturally mm-hmm. uh and then you paid to go see it yeah <laughs> <laughs> there were there were things that i liked about it it was it came off as a movie that um i thought would have teeth and you could see that they were going they were trying to do things and they did some things that were like oh man this is we're gonna we're gonna be kind of edgy about it oh look he's got it he's got a literal no heart see you know you're looking at dick cheney with no physical heart in his chest and it still came off as like okay we get it like, right, right there was nothing really vital about it what was your what was your read on vice it didn't it didn't land yeah. for me at all i mean you know the performances are great i gotta give it up to steve carell for steve Donald carell. Rumsfeld. that was hilarious <laughs> um uh sam rockwell yeah uh his, his george bush is hilarious yeah <laughs> but i think but at the same time i think that's part of the problem with the film because it's like george i mean dick cheney is such a an incendiary political figure that you know playing him up for yucks right it's like you know come on there's a lot of gravity going on here and sarcasm either works or it doesn't and when it doesn't it really doesn't and i felt that way about about vice with that being said the performances are awesome sure um i don't necessarily think the makeup was all that great but with that being said it's it's an okay film to watch and you know yeah i've seen it wonderful but i don't think that it was nearly as impactful of a film as it could have been or as it should have been i mean dick cheney is an incredibly powerful political figure yeah even to this day yeah and um he's you know i feel like we were getting to this point where he was starting to slip into the shadows a little bit people were, were forgetting because to be fair we are living in an era of another uh just ridiculous republican regime that you know you can't really you don't have the time to look back on the Bush era and what was going on 
because you're so focused on the right now, but it could have been a movie that would have given a lot of, um, I don't know, perspective on what we're dealing with now and saying like, Hey, this is a long, this is a long history in the Republican party. We're not kidding around. Like Trump is just the next phase of what we looked at. And they kind of tried to get at that with the, uh, (laughs) mid credits or kind of after credits scene with the focus group. And I was just like, this is so fucking dumb. Like, this is, <laughs> I was like, when is not funny? <laughs> when you're playing up, I mean, there's, like you said earlier, there's so much, there's such fertile ground to satirize or, or make fun of Dick Cheney, right? But they're, what do they go for? Kind of like what you said, Tom, playing off of that mid-2000s humor, they, they play his weight for laughs, right? Yeah. It's it, This guy is a war criminal. He's like a documented sociopath. And yeah. what are we doing? We're just giggling because he's got a gut? That's... It's yeah. not right. Yeah, I mean, it's like cheap yucks. It's almost <laughs> like you know, um, Adam made this shift in his filmmaking and the and the subjects that he was taking on, but he didn't allow his humor to mature mm-hmm. along with it. So it's like you're taking this really serious topic, sure. Dick Cheney, mm-hmm. but you're also filtering it through sophomoric jokes, right? And that just kind of cheapens the whole thing. It mm-hmm. struck me as a more focused but less compelling the big short yeah there was something about the big short that did have weight to it and still had his trademark humor and i just wonder where it maybe you know it was a bit of a misstep apparently they shot a ton of footage i mean adam mckay is known for shooting tons and tons and tons of stuff whether it's looking at stuff from like anchorman like yeah. there was basically another movie when he shot anchorman there was two movies worth of footage shot yeah and then he calls it down and it seems like he got a little too big for his britches he thought okay i'm gonna do it's gonna be everything in the kitchen sink it's gonna be really bombastic it's gonna be really like in your face gonzo sort of movie and it just didn't work there just wasn't enough um thought put into why are we showing this scene why do we have these inserts all this kind of stuff uh i do want to say some positives about the best picture nominees um have you just been railing on them since <laughs> yeah. i kind since of i well, mean we started with bohemian rhapsody yeah so. okay yeah, let's start somewhere <laughs> right. i just there were just a couple that we needed to strike from the record as being like really okay. snowballs chance can i guess what they me. are yeah bohemian rhapsody probably green book and a star is born i would say are the ones that it's like kind of fuck those movies a yeah. little bit um, no yeah. offense to the people that made them or whatever but and we'll we'll get come on <laughs> we'll, we'll jump a little bit more into green book in a bit because uh i think there's a lot of interesting stuff surrounding it but um i do want to highlight the fact that one of my favorite movies of the year and then also one of the most culturally relevant movies of the year as as joseph uh, mentioned are in the best picture nom- nominees you've got black landsman which i think is an amazing return to form for Spike Lee. Yep. Um, after, and I, I was, I'm one of the people that enjoyed Chirac. I thought that was an interesting movie. I thought it was, he was going it's for bold something. experiment. It's true. And I, I'd rather, it's the same way I feel about people like M night Shyamalan. I'd rather see someone swing for the fences and miss than someone who's just going to go for the safe, you know, a safe single, you right. know, there's like, <laughs> and yeah. still miss. Yeah, and still miss. <laughs> well, so, let's not talk about glass here. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> I mean, black Klansman is, uh, you know, a movie that I enjoyed thoroughly. I think it could be finally what gets Spike Lee, the Oscar. He's so richly deserved for a while. Now, granted, he does have a honorary Oscar, Mm-hmm. celebrating his entire contributions to film over the last 30 odd years 
and we're not trying to say that's not a real Oscar, but you know, there's a difference between getting the lifetime achievement or, you know, an honorary Oscar versus being recognized for one of your works. Yeah. And I think he's, he's a guy that really deserves it. I think we're seeing a repeat of, uh, the 1990 Oscars, where Spike Lee is up against Driving Miss Daisy, and Driving Miss Daisy in this case is Green Book, Green Book. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully he gets. Hopefully the um, the Academy recognizes uh, at least in the director category that Black Klansman was was a Spike Lee joint. It was yeah. like it's you watching. You're like, yeah, I'm watching Spike Lee quintessentially, like, and and then be- and and at the same time, even you know, holding it up as a Spike Lee film. And he deserves at you know finally the credit that he he's he's due. Mm-hmm. It's just a really 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 good yeah. movie, sure. In and of itself, it's just the story is, you know, of course, is based on a true story, and um, and of course the performances are great. But to just sit and watch it and yeah. take it all in, I never got bored with that film yeah. at all it's incredibly well constructed yeah. well acted paced well and yeah. it's punk as fuck yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> in that's, a lot of ways that's what i think i watched that director's roundtable that they released from the reporter a little a uh, couple of weeks ago i think yeah and that's just the the vibe that i get from spike lee is that he just does not give a fuck if he yeah. wins an oscar because no, he he, doesn't. he likes getting on camera so that he can say that the cia killed dr martin luther king jr yeah. you know like he he strikes me as that kind of guy, which I find really uh, authentic. Yeah, there's an authenticity to him, which is so inspiring to see in a filmmaker, as opposed to like a, you know, Bradley Cooper who's like, "Thanks for letting me remake this yeah. movie for the yeah. first time, guys." <laughs> yeah, it's been made what uh, four? This is four. Yeah, this is the fourth four. time. Yeah, I mean, it was okay the first three times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you think you're going to bring something that? And special? it will only get more okay. Yeah, they're I don't okay. Know where they um, I gotta say, a snub. Speaking of Black Klansman, is in the lead actor. I kind of hope. I really was carrying a torch for John David Washington. Yeah, so and I'm a little bit annoyed that he did not get nominated, but Adam Driver did. Now that's not to you know crap on Adam Driver's performance. He filled that role perfectly. Yeah. I think he did exactly. He heard what Spike Lee wanted him to do, and he's like, "I can be that for you. I can be this character." But um, you know he's he plays i find some sort of like weird mental thing where the the white guy stand-in from the movie he's playing a white guy stand-in for john david washington right and now he's being the stand-in for that movie in the actors category i I don't know if that's that's just what came to mind there's some really weird synchronicity happening that we're picking up on here it's driving mrs daisy versus spike lee's 90 movie and now this one versus the other driving movie green green book yeah and a movie that is problematic you know but at least spike now has credibility yeah and and he clearly has a canon and and you know uh the academy you know, they do have this history of finally throwing a bone. Yeah. You know, that they knew that they should have thrown decades before. Yeah. Like giving Scorsese an award. Um, for The Departed. For The Departed. Which is um, a decent movie. Yeah, it's a good fun, movie. good movie. Oh, but dude. it's not Taxi Driver. It's not Raging Bull. <laughs> right, right. Or even, um, I mean, we could we could list a long, do a long list of Oscar snubs over the years that got made up for later, such as Pacino winning for Scent of Scent a of Woman. woman. Yeah. <laughs> God. Wow. Over over painful. Denzel? <laughs> 50 <laughs> Right, exactly. Oof. 
Another Oof. Spike Lee reference. Yeah. yeah. Another Spike Lee he's, stuff. He's all around the place. So I wanted to ask what, what happens when, a, or when does an Oscar become a participation trophy? When, when they give it to Leo for The Revenant. That's yeah, exactly that's when, when it happened. happened. That was the <laughs> definitive moment. They're like, you're going to give him this for The Revenant. Yep. When you yeah, know, but you that was good. It, it, was, it was good. <laughs> it was good. But it's like I I was talking with my friend the other day. He was like, "The, the Revenant is so good that it's shitty." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. And then you know, as we were talking about Black Panther, which is a movie that, um, and I you know sometimes I catch a little flack for this. I don't think I've never said it's a bad movie. I really enjoyed it. I think it's up there in the top echelon of the Marvel movies because that's what it is and i feel like you have to sometimes take those movies in their own way and be like because they're so forced by producers to be made a certain way ryan coogler is an incredibly artful director he's got such a great directing mind but even he probably had to bow at certain points to kevin feige and the minds at marvel and disney they were like we need this this is what we need and he found a way to work within those parameters and still make a movie that is enjoyable you can watch so many of of those marvel movies and just be like oh look paul rudd gets small this is not really anything special black panther feels like it's got a lot of fun blockbuster you know injection behind it but um i always found that it's cultural impact will ultimately be more interesting than the movie itself the movie's got a lot of interesting ideas but still boils down to a lot of cgi fighting a lot of stuff that uh you know doesn't engage me as much as something like black Klansmen, which has a lot of great ideas or even uh notably left off here if beale street could talk yeah that was a movie that I carried with me for the week following after I saw it. Black Panther, I was like, wow, that's really good. Yeah. And now it's nominated for Best Picture. So we were talking a little bit about the popularity thing. We talked about it last time you were on the show, talked a little bit here at the top. Uh, you know, what? why do you think the Academy said Black Panther needs to be in this in this race right now? So while you were saying all that, the, the first movie that came to my mind was Crash. Mm. Yeah. Which Crash won best is, picture. Is, yeah, one best picture of the year. Um, two thousand six. Yeah. Good. It's a good movie. Uh, it it plays well. Uh, I didn't necessarily think it was the best movie of the year, but I, I feel like a part of the reason why the Academy ultimately chose it as best picture of the year was because of its heft and its um, you know, the statements that the film was making about you know, race and um, mm-hmm. hate and society, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Hollywood really loves a film that can transcend itself. That you mm-hmm. know, something that lives on much further than just Hollywood. And when you can see YouTube videos of five, six, seven year old white kids almost a year after the film came out, still doing the Wakanda sign across yeah. their chest, you know, <laughs> that means that something's been touched and in, yeah. in the zeitgeist. And, and, you know, it's really interesting because we were saying earlier that uh, before we started recording that popularity is becoming more and more of an issue with Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. So last time yeah. I was on, we were talking about this crazy idea to create a best popular film category right. and, and they didn't do it, but, their nominees are are all blockbuster films for the most part, you know? And so I think that they're trying to move a little bit further in that direction um, and balance it with, you know, artistic quality. But if a film can 
you know, break box office records, change the change conversations, introduce new conversations, mm-hmm. and technically be a pretty well made film. That's going to put it um, a little bit ahead of everything else. It'd be interesting to view the nominees that the Academy puts on their, you know, in their ceremony. It's a, like almost a way through which you can judge their fear of being outdated or, mm-hmm. you know, falling right. into non-importance. And it's it's worth stating that, um, you know, Black Panther doesn't need to be awarded like it they the folks behind black panther they're like oh we already did we we beat the academy awards we made our cultural impact we don't need an academy award to prove that we've made a cultural impact because as you said there's still kids out there given the wakanda sign and it brings to mind a really great uh political cartoon that i saw in the chicago tribune uh by scott stantis that was two kids uh two black children looking at a poster of black panther and pointing and saying that's me yeah. And I think that really that's what really touches me about that movie. The movie itself I can be like, well, the plot was it doesn't really matter. I can I'm it doesn't Special matter. effects weren't that great. Right. <laughs> it's like it, really? It, it doesn't matter if uh so, you know, if I think there's problems with the movie. I don't think it really matters if anybody thinks that there's problems with the movie because it made it did exactly what it wanted to do and maybe, you know, all those years ago when Stan Lee you know, helped devise when Marvel devised, let's make a, a black superhero. Um, maybe that was ultimately what they were going for. They're like, let's give something to the culture that can uh, really help people. It can really give someone to look, give kids someone to look up to that matches them, that they can be like, Hey, that, that is me. That is someone I can aspire to be. Obviously this, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of white kids that are like, yeah, man, I want to be black Panther, but uh, it goes, it goes so far past that for kids that have to look at white superheroes all the time yeah, and, and, and all that well that raises a really important point because it's like now I, a part of the reason why black panther became such a powerful film is because you could have it has a it has a character like killmonger love killmonger you know where's and, the nomination yeah exactly exactly seriously for a <laughs> exactly. franchise that has a serious villain problem where they can't get memorable villains you have like hands down one of the best performances as a villain ever and, uh, ever it's so good he's amazing it's heath ledger level if you ask me if if that's our criteria for a lot of people it is yeah. is uh heath ledger's joker i'm like oh he's up there yeah, definitely. And ha- that character is so powerful because he introduces so many important questions right. that a lot of people may not really understand about um, being black in America. Yeah. You know? On one hand, you have you know that there are these manipulations, you know, and these misrepresentations, but at the same time you still have these expectations placed on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could get real egghead about it and go like all the way back to Du Bois, but sure. You know, it's a, it's a really powerful Testament and it creates this really, really wonderful and dare I say safe space for kids to be able to be in tuned to those kinds of dynamics, you know, so they can look at their friends and that might not be white and say, oh, okay, you know, yeah. it's like, let's talk about Killmonger first. Yeah. And <laughs> well, I feel like that's the function of a great villain. A great villain should have a, have a point. She should ask yourself, oh man, Kill- Killmonger's kind of right here in yeah. a lot of ways. He is reacting to a world that has systematically, uh, you know, brought down his people through, through murder, 
through economic, you know, uh, disenfranchisement, all, all these different things. And it's hard not to watch Killmonger be like, dude, he's got a point. Like yeah. you could see, you, I could, I could see a world where black Panther's like, actually, you know what? Uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to bring him in and, uh, <laughs> we're going to work together. Let like, him yeah. be king. We'll yeah. share it. <laughs> yeah. To challenge and kill Eric Killmonger together. But, um, I think performances aside, the, the thing that like elevates that movie for me is just the world building that they did oh, in yeah. both in both uh, like Compton and Wakanda because that movie could have been something completely different you know it really I, I, which is a dumb thing to say maybe but the impact that it had I think is entirely due to the fact that while yes at its heart it's an origin story but what's it's wrapped up in is just the superb world building mm-hmm. yeah the production design um for black panther is just off the charts yeah i mean it's just a it's a it's a, it's one of those rare occasions where as soon as the opening credits start rolling you are immediately in a completely different world and you're at in this case coogler's will yeah or whim and it's a, a beautiful film to watch and yeah. it's yeah. a lot of fun and you got to give it credit for that yeah i mean we just got to say i mean if if uh if a popular film is going to make it into the best picture category, I think black Panther was probably the one. Yeah. I don't, I don't really see uh, in terms of popular films, what impacted the culture of just the entire Nate, not just a nation, not just the United States, but like all around the world. People are like, yeah, this is great. This is dope. <laughs> I heard, um, I don't know if this is right, but I heard that crazy rich Asians didn't actually play very well in China. No, it didn't like, really. Yeah. Cause <laughs> they didn't like it. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's a weird thing. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's, we could, we could talk for days with so many people that analyze this sort of thing with, um, how movies play in different countries like Aquaman. Holy shit. It played, it, it played so well in Asia. It basically made its entire budget back in the first weekend in China alone Yeah, because there was just some sort of facet of that filmmaking that really played well. Whereas crazy rich Asians, I don't know. It didn't land and it'd be hard for us to, we could speculate, but we would have to get the average audience member in China and be like, and it's a massive movie movie going country at this point. Just be like, what about this? Didn't you like, you know, give them the whole cinema score thing, like well, the audience score and see what, what worked. Uh, yeah. How often do uh, rom-coms become uh, globe flattening juggernauts, you know? Right. Fair right very fair <laughs> and well i mean having the luxury of having watched it a couple of more times since the first time i we all talked about it i it's just it's like a really really good lifetime movie yeah with a really really big budget yeah and and that's that's not what a best picture should be no no D- despite um its cultural import and how yeah. important it was for the representation of um asians um the asian diaspora so on that on that in that regard i think it's a it's a great film and it's an important film and always will be its problem was that it did it after black panther did yeah so it's kind of like you know really for position is that that. you think it was just laid out of the gate yeah wow yeah that's at least in that phenomenon that's interesting to think about that has that much um cultural import and you know pushes so many buttons asks so many questions then for it to come out <laughs> what like f- six seven months after black panther yeah. yeah i mean it's serious food for thought um so there's two two big things i want to talk about one is this year as a year for black cinema 
and then we'll also talk a little bit about Roma and Netflix and kind of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, this this year, 2018, we had the distinct pleasure of being able to see Black Panther, Black Klansman, uh, Sorry to Bother You, and If Beale Street Could Talk. Really, some of the it's just the cream of the crop. Those are all really on the short list of not just some of my favorite movies of the year, but um, you know, even in the whether it's the Academy or even you know different magazines, different whatever the circle you're running in, it's whatever circle. Those are falling in there, and I found it to be an interesting, I don't know, problem that you've got two of these movies not recognized by the academy with uh at least in the best picture for beale street and for sorry to bother you which is an incendiary debut yeah yeah Yeah, true uh, much like much like uh do the right thing i really compared it to that in the sense that it is a work of vision by a young director that is really just starting to learn the ropes and uh i just can't believe that we didn't get something for barry jenkins for um for Beale Street, because that was, I mean, following up on Moonlight is just a tough act. I mean, I know, I know, I'm sure Barry was having like some thoughts. He's like, how do I follow up on this movie that has, you know, in its own way changed the conversation and become a symbol for talking not just about black identity, but uh, black queer identity and all that kind of stuff. So, I guess my question is, in a year when we have all these movies, how is Green Book still a Best Picture nominee? <laughs> I really would love to... I, f- I feel as though the Academy likes to pad that Best Picture category with as many different types of movies. So I feel like you're going to need the... Uh, uh, you're going to need, like... it's It was like Black Klansman versus Sorry to Bother You, in my opinion, which is why you're not getting that Oscar nom. Hell. I don't like that. <laughs> I, well, no, it's wrong. It's stupid. Joseph, but, yeah. please... You got make some sense out. out of it. Green Book makes people feel good, you know, mm-hmm. and and to be explicit about it, Green Book makes white people feel good. It's uh, let's let's be explicit so, because you know if there's a film that's going to deal with race and at the same time, um, white folks don't have to feel like the bad guy walking out of the film, then it's gonna it's ultimately going to have a more popular appeal and feeling to it mm-hmm. and. I think this is the year of the box office receipt more than anything else. And so if it's a, a challenge, it's a quote unquote challenging film. Cause the way the film was marketed, sure. you know, it looked like it was going to be this deep dive. And I thought it was going to be a much darker film. Sure. It's like, wow, you're talking about riding around the South in the, in the fifties and the sixties. Yeah. Well, that sucks, you know, but it didn't play that way. It ultimately played as this feel good, let's all hold hands and look how great we are. You know, we were talking earlier about it's the film for the baby boomers for them to feel good about themselves. Yeah. You can and be racist as long as you say you have a black friend. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, that's, Isn't that kind of the vibe? Plays, yeah. And, and a friend of mine, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, you're a friend good. friend of mine um, had posted uh, a comment after she had seen it and expressed her frustration that the film didn't really actually deal with what the green book is and what the green book was about um for those of you that don't know um if you didn't see the film the green book was a handbook that african americans had it's kind of like the triple a handbook for black folks and it told you where you could go to eat get gas um lodging etc because um in jim crow south you couldn't just pull up to a hotel if you were black on the road and say yeah i'm here i want a room Uh, usually you would get kicked out 
or harassed in some way, shape, or form. So the Green Book was a way of communicating that information. And I believe it was updated annually. And so that, that as the starting source of, the, of a film, that's a pretty powerful place to start from, especially since so many people out there don't know anything about it. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, if you go to um, the Smithsonian Museum for African American History and Culture, which if you haven't, it's an amazing experience, but they have copies of green books that you can see. These things were real aspects of American history. So for the film to minimize that part of the story and trade it off as, you know, a road buddy comedy yeah, with a couple of hiccups. Right. It's like, <laughs> come on, dude. Yeah. You're reducing, you're reducing the racial environment at that time to yeah. laughs. And even in, even just in a practical standpoint, you're, you're, reducing the historical salience of the movie you're making yeah that's like it's like uh i don't know i'm trying to think of some sort of another movie that's like if you had gladiator but it all takes place outside of the, the ring <laughs> it's just like, it follows a guy who's trying to he like lost his ticket and can't get in yeah that's that's green book's version of gladiator so and apparently they didn't do a good job of telling um mahershala character story yeah uh, the family's expressed a lot of anger and frustration about the way he was characterized yep. yeah. so i mean when you start having problems like that and people out there know it it makes you scratch your head it's like all right so if you know this movie's flawed especially even just telling the story why is it being nominated mm-hmm. for best picture as as someone that is you know you've written and you study and you are you're you know the assistant director of the uh center for black studies over at northern illinois university seeing this media landscape the way it's shifting whether it's through stuff like black panther or any sort of uh if we want to bring a mahershala again you know he's the lead and true detective right now which um, is good it's very <laughs> i haven't seen it i i'm enjoying season three okay. he's doing a very good job like three iterations of his own character all at the same time it's crazy yeah it's there's show. there's such a, there's such an explosion of um black focused media made by black folks from a variety of different backgrounds i mean we even saw with spike lee and boots boots riley they yeah. you know they have different opinions on what their movies mean uh both talking about their own films and each other's films boots uh kind of famously yeah. last year wrote uh his thoughts down in a in a way that was not accusatory and i i don't think he was just kind of like yeah this is how i feel about it yeah he docked him yeah right? he, a little bit yeah he was just like here's here's my take on it and uh but it was so nice to see that and then you see something like beale street which is yet another perspective you know that's also a period piece but not in the same way that black Klansman is a period piece and not in the same way that I, sometimes I feel like sorry to bother you is uh, a period piece because it transcends time in a lot of ways, the things it's talking about. And plus it's it's use of magical realism. Make it feel like it's like this could take place at any time and it's still relevant. So with, with all of this in mind, are, are we seeing a more positive future for black media? Um, And are we going to, it feels like there's a bit of a there's a train going is it going to keep going and are are we not going to have to worry about the green books of the world getting undue success if they keep making money yeah you know um who is it i think it's uh spielberg started taking that strategy of all right i'm gonna make a blockbuster i'm gonna make a whole bunch of money 
nobody's going to look at me and then I'm going to go make this small intimate, you know, film. And I think that that's a perfect um strategy for someone like Kugler. Yeah, who can make a film who sh- who is shown clearly. I mean, he made the highest grossing film of yeah. all time. So it'll be interesting to see what his next two or three films are and whether or not he returns to making these more quiet uh, contained, um, artful films. Yeah. I would love uh, to see another, you know, fruit fail sale. Cause that's, that's just, uh, that was just such a, it's, it's a cinematic movie in, yeah. a, in a way that block ba- blockbusters can't be, you know, as you said, quiet. And, and when you character. really learned how good Michael B. Jordan really is. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Although I remember him as, uh, Wallace from, uh, yeah. Wire. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I think that, um, the, the, I think we're at this, point in hollywood history where the insiders are starting to realize that oh everything that people have been saying for decades is true Mm -hmm. get out of people's way take some risk and more likely than not those risks are going to pay off Mm -hmm. right and you know with what's going on with the me too movement um oscar so white Mm -hmm. um with um you know, what we saw with crazy rich Asians and, you know, the recasting or reclaiming rather of the, um, of Asian characters in film, you know, people are just kind of tired of the same old thing. And I think that what you're seeing now is Hollywood finally understanding everywhere we thought there was no market is all wrong. Yeah. And we're seeing a new generation of, of film goers, um, kids, who are interested in seeing films where the characters look like their group of friends mm-hmm. or what their aspirational group of friends might look like um, and deal with issues that we're not too young, so to speak, uh, as a nation to really deal with. You know, let's talk about some of this stuff. Yeah. So I think, you know, films are definitely going to be very critical. As we move forward across the board, whether you're talking about African-American film, Asian film, um, female-centric film, LGBT film. Uh, one of the snubs this year is uh, Timothy Chalamet. and Beautiful boy. Yeah. Um, both him and Steve, for that matter. You know, this is just more evidence that there are so many brilliant and beautiful stories out there as long as – Folks at studios who greenlight projects can get out of their own way and trust the artist. You know, this is an artistic-driven medium, you know, not necessarily monetarily. Yeah, and finding that balance and finding a way where, you know, we're we're making money because, unfortunately, that's kind of the necessary evil of what we're dealing with in the film industry is that things have to – make money it's a big investment to make even a small film i mean something like get out which was a huge return on investment uh still cost like five million dollars to make and that's you know that's a significant amount of money it's not really not that well on credit cards no No, that's true (laughs) no not even a little bit well Uh, you could but you wouldn't be you at the end of that (laughs) someone would own your liver listen you can pre-order prison exactly exactly so i you know what? You hit the nail on that. It's just, you're so right. <laughs> and uh, it's it's been shown, and we've talked about it before, is that the more diverse a movie is, financially speaking, it's not just a correlation. It's a causation. The more diverse a movie is, uh, casting. People want to see it. Yeah. It's more people want to see it. Look at the it numbers, takes- Time Warner. God damn it. Look at the numbers. <laughs> it always takes me back to uh, Star Wars. 
You know, yeah. One of the first arguments about Star Wars is that it was like, I guess, outer space is either weird space creatures or white people. Yeah. Right. You know? <laughs> and so, of course, you know, Lucas made the decision to bring in uh, Billy D. Williams as um, Lando Calrissian. Lando. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, whatever. But <laughs> it's, it's still, you know, a recognition that diversity is is going to be important because that, that franchise could have lost a lot of people. Yeah. Including really someone like me. Yeah. And I was, what, 10 years old when uh, The Empire Strikes Back came out. And for me, my family, and our friends at church and whatnot, we didn't care that Empire Strikes Back was coming out. We cared that Billy D. Williams yeah. was going to be in the Empire Strikes Back. So we got to go see it. Yeah. You know? And I think that sensibility will always sustain, you know, when you're from a marginalized group, seeing yourself represented is a, is a, a wonderful and amazing and empowering feeling. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that a lot of people overlook uh, because of privilege. So, yeah, hands down. Um, let's do a quick little turn over to the film Roma and Netflix. Uh, yeah. There, I mean, this is another shift in the in the movie world for 20. It's, it feels like the most 2018, 2019 story as, aside from what we've just been talking about. Uh, you know, Roma directed by Alfonso Cuaron, one of the greats. Yeah, one he's of the amazing. Th- I, I can't remember. Do they? I don't know what they call themselves. I know they have a name, but uh, Alfonso, Guillermo del Toro, and Alejandro, Alejandro Inuritu, they're three buddies. Yeah, all came up at the same time. I think that's what they call them. The three buddies. Three buddies. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're that's that's a good name. Uh, but they all all coming up. Some they're making the best work of their careers, if you ask me. And I know some people are really not hot on the Shape of Water, but uh, I'm hot. It's a beautiful movie. I love it. I I'm love hot it. For it's, that movie. It's not a. It's not Pan's Labyrinth to me. Nope. I think Pan's <laughs> Labyrinth is really the his previous zenith yeah not saying that he can't also reach new heights but they're all making amazing movies at this moment alfonso i really think this is pretty much his best movie um it's man i full disclosure i watched it for the first time last night really really man it's powerful that movie is so beautiful it is yes shot on 70 oh yeah in the full strike full spectrum uh, of beauty four by three aspect ratio and just the opening with this straight-on shot of of what I thought was a wall, yeah, and then it turns out to be you know cobblestones yeah, and street and water and puddle, yeah. and that becomes a motif through the entire film. Yeah, I was like, wow. Yeah, he's outdone himself. Yeah, know? he really has outdone himself. And to really think from a business perspective, he gave that to Netflix. Like he's yeah. just like, yeah, here you go, take it. Get it, show this to as many people as you want, and let Flix stayed out of his way too. Yeah. He was like, Maybe. go make it. Have fun. And that's the one thing about Netflix that I really, I have to give them a, a pat on the back for is that they're increasingly just being like, uh, yeah, here you go. Just make this, yeah. make us something. Here's, here's like a billion dollars. Like we're spending, <laughs> go have fun. Yeah. We're spending, they're spending like <laughs> upwards of like, bi- they're just billions of dollars on original content now. And to have people like Alfonso Cuaron coming in and just taking advantage of that might as well. You might as well. And he gets to make Roma, and now it's paying off for Netflix because they've just gotten their first Best Picture nomination. And that movie has 10 Oscar noms. 10 Oscar yeah. noms. Um, They're not going to win Best Picture, though. They won't. No. They'll I, win Best Foreign Language Film. Probably. Maybe Best Directing? Uh, I'm, I'm going to prognosticate. Uh-huh. I was talking to my buddy Greg about this on the way in. I think uh, they'll give it to Spike. 
I th- give it to Spike, on, but uh, Black Klansman will not win Best Picture. I'm I'm on board with that either way. Yeah, I see that. I see that happening. Um, but what what does this mean for our the business of movies? Especially because now Netflix recently joined the MPAA as a huge. That's huge. That's a huge step. Um, but they're also getting in fights where they're getting they're having trouble with traditional theater change. AMC is not showing Roma in their best picture um, like marathons that they're doing because they're bringing them all back and they're refusing to show Roma, which I think is probably the pettiest thing I've ever seen. It's sad that they think that they're protecting their business by not showing Roma. All it shows is an unwillingness to try and adapt to this new world. Yeah. Which in history, historically really always pays off for the dinosaurs. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, I don't know, as, as, as all of us as uh, film fans and, um, you know, people that we watch a lot of movies, whether it's on Netflix or in the theaters, I would say I'm in a pretty hybrid moment. Um, I don't know, Joseph, what do you, what do you think? I think it's kind of cool. It's super cool. I mean, you know, I heard a conversation once um, where someone was, uh, talking about how you know they go to Best Buy or whatever and shell out a thousand dollars for a beautiful, you know, seventy-two inch flat screen TV, you know, with the most brilliant picture you could ever find, and then they get home and don't really use it for anything other than sports. Yeah, and now you're seeing this um, these products, um, pieces of art that can only be seen a certain way. And that certain way is sitting at home on your couch, streaming it, you know? And so the whole, it's a, it's an entire paradigm shift to use that, that language. Um, that is really, that I think is really important. You know, I have a big TV at home, like I'm sure everybody else in here does. And my favorite thing is Friday night, (laughs) 10, 11 o'clock. I'm going downstairs to watch a movie on my fat ass TV. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and if uh, if Netflix wants to give me good fare, I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, you know? I'm gonna watch that in in uh, 4K. Give yeah, me that 4K absolutely. subscription. Give me the the high dynamic range. And not as much of a hassle. I mean, Hollywood. I don't know if it's so much. You know, Hollywood doesn't necessarily set the entire financial landscape of what it means to go to a movie. But going to the movies sucks. Yeah, I love once I'm in my seat and the credits are rolling. Great. Love the experience. Love being at the theater. But uh, I bought a medium popcorn and a (laughs) bottle of water uh, the last time I went out to the theater. It was like 16 bucks. 16 bucks? Really? Unbelievable. I want to like line my... And then tap me on the shoulder if I like try to sneak a bottle of water in. Oh, really? (laughs) Have you been soft for that? They should make a jacket that pops pop, like that's lined with like microwavable something and you can just pop popcorn in your jacket as you're waiting in line. Write it down. Thank you. Yeah, I'll I'll make sure. (laughs) We'll we'll play this back. Play it back. We'll make sure. I mean, I feel bad because I'm on both sides of the law in that sense. I work work in a movie theater. (laughs) Granted, I do not work in a chain movie theater. I work in a small independent independently owned theater it's four screens it's tiny it's been a theater for like for over 100 years it's opened in 1912 and so i have to be that guy so often i see and, and sometimes folks they're bold they, i've seen so, there's a giordano's down the street they just walk in with a full pizza i'm like dude nice. come on <laughs> <laughs> and they, but they ask a legitimate question they're like why not why can't i've paid for a ticket like and 
I just have to go through this whole thing was like, okay, well, like 90% of that ticket goes away that we don't get that. We're set. We're here to sell you concessions. We don't sell you movies. We sell you concessions. You, that go, you go into a go church see. with the bag of, with a bag of chips and say like, "No, I got. I'm. I don't need the communion. I'm fine yeah. right here. I got my. <laughs> I got my crisps." <laughs> yeah, I. I don't know. I, I deem this the body of Christ. This, <laughs> it's good enough for me. Why this not? Frito. Yeah. Body I mean, there's some people. They're just like, yeah, I can't watch a movie without my bag of Fritos. I was like, well, you're not watching a movie then. Sorry, man. And I, you know, we and we go to great lengths just on a financial from a financial perspective our tickets are literally the lowest in the city of chicago it's 850 for a main feature um it's before 6 p.m before 6 p.m a matinee is six dollars we've got five dollar tuesdays like five dollars flat students are four dollars on wednesdays senior citizens four dollars on mondays like we're cutting costs at every possible place and even a large bag of popcorn with refills is five bucks you know see now i'm down with a theater like that yeah yeah but, but it's these also hard. chain theaters, yeah, where you know now you no longer have a seat, but you have a couch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's you just, can recline. It's too in. much. It's like, There's something on, gross dude. about that. Almost, it's like more of a public toilet. It feel. It's just like I'm just laying in somebody else's like body <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's like, this Con- isn't my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <What is laughs> People treat the theater like it's their house. It's really weird. We're starting to see a, a less less of a division of like going to. And I'm not expecting us to go back to the roadshow days of going to see Hello Dolly and you get your little program and everybody's dressed up going to the uh, the Uptown Theater. We're yeah. all gonna three thousand people are all gonna sit in a room and watch a movie. It's like that's gone. It's over. That's not how it works anymore. And honestly, that's okay. But um, people sometimes do treat the movies like it's their house because maybe that's how they're used to watching movies. They're like, yeah. oh, I'm watching a movie. I'm going to get cozy. I got my sweatpants. I've got like, you know, my Uber Eats right next to me. That's how people watch movies now. And um, also contending with, you know, the second screen problem, as I like to call it, where people are used to multitasking while watching a movie. They're not absorbed. Yeah. And they find it hard to try and get absorbed. It's like a lot of work. But uh, hopefully we can return to it. We're we're unfortunately uh, out of time right now. But yeah. um, you know what, Joseph Flynn, thank you so much for coming. This in. Always so much fun, guys. I appreciate the extension. Yeah, anytime you want to come, you come come and talk. Whether it's on the phone, in person. Um, I know NIU's out in DeKalb. Yes, it's a bit it of is. a hike. Yeah, it's a good town. It's not though. too bad. <laughs> but it's so great to meet you and speak yeah. with you. Yeah, so. it actually really is. So. And again. Really cool. Uh, Joseph Flynn, the Associate Director of the Center for Black Studies and Associate Professor of Curriculum and Instruction at the Northern Illinois University. The NIU. <laughs> and uh, the NIU. Go Huskies. Go Huskies. Yeah, please don't make Ohio State mad at us. <laughs> Bring it on. Uh, right. Thank you so much for coming. Where can people, can people follow you on Twitter, uh, Facebook, or anything like that? Yeah. Uh, at J.E. Flynn is the Twitter handle. And just search Joseph Flynn. Uh, Joseph Lynn PhD for Facebook. There you go. All right, everybody. That's, uh, that's the Oscar talk. We got a lot of stuff to think about, so keep it in the back of your mind. Um, you know, we, we want us, we want everybody to be very mindful about their choices in movie watching and also put your phones down. Yeah. Put your phones down. And when you're watching the Oscars, remember it's just an award show. Uh, it's got a lot it's of It's called culture. the Oscars, for fuck's sake. Like, how serious can you take it? All right. You've been listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>